so much of what we're going to do this morning really centers on this, this idea that we're fighting for joy. Um, we're looking for the, the path of wisdom that God's laid out for us as we run towards him. And he's given us his word and he's given us his spirit and he's given us the church to do that together. And so just thankful for that this morning. Um, just thankful that, that we don't have to figure this out alone. Right? God didn't say, hey, now you need to find your way to me. He came to us. And now he's drawing us to himself. And so uh, just thankful for the gift of the the book of Proverbs. So this morning we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6. So if you want to find that, um, Proverbs 6, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 35 this morning. Um, And we need to remember first and foremost that as we gather this morning, we gather as the church by grace, gathered at the foot of the cross, looking to Jesus. Jesus who is the perfect one, Jesus who walked in perfect wisdom, even as we call each other to walk in wisdom, there's this beautiful grace that we have because of the work of Christ, that we can hold out this good thing, and as we fall short of the good thing, we can encourage one another, and we can come alongside, and we can be patient with one another, and still continue to say, listen, we failed, and we're going to fail again, but God has set a way for us to walk in perfect unity with him. So let's continue to strive for that. Let's fight for that joy. And so that's what we get to do this morning. As we think about our need for salvation today, um, we're continuing this time in Proverbs. We're looking at the particular folly of lust today. Um, in the month of June, we've been in this series, June and July now, and we've looked at seven different, looked at, what, five different sins. We've got a couple more to go. But these sins that would tear us down and that would really try to rob us of the joy that Christ has given us in his perfect righteousness and, and called us to walk in these things. And, and so as we look at that, we're, the, the hope this morning is that we would find peace and rest in, and joy in Christ. So even as we maybe even talk some practical things, and it's not going to be a lot of practical things because our hope is, is that our hearts would be changed that our hearts would be stirred, that we would long for Jesus and Him alone. He would be our first affection and greatest affection. And so this morning we're going to look that the root of this sin, like the other sins that we've talked about, like the, the sin of anger and gluttony and greed, and those, those sins really stems from the heart. It stems from an unbelief that either two things, either God's not real, right? So this belief that God's not real, or the belief that God is not good. But if we rightly believe that God is real, that he's very present, and that he is good, that he meets us in our need and in our want greater than we can find it anywhere else, if we stand firm on that, then we will walk in wisdom. Then we will not run to folly. We would chase after Jesus. And so this morning, the call is is not so much to examine the sin, but to look to the Savior. To have our our hearts refreshed and restored in a a new view of Him. God, that you would save a sinner like me. Who am I? And that you've united me to other sinners that are saved by grace. And we get to run this together towards you and find our ultimate satisfaction in you as a gift. So if you haven't found it in your Bibles, again, we're in Proverbs 6, 20-35. Uh, as we've kind of walked through this topical series, and a topical series can be tough because you feel, you feel like you're just kind of picking and choosing, but the reality is that what we're striving for is we're looking to say, hey, where have we run to other things 
besides Christ? And then what does that look like? And, and as we look at the behavior patterns of our life, can we go back to these roots of, of false belief and then fix that belief and then say, what would that look like played out in my life? What would my attitude, my words, my actions towards others look like if I truly believe that God is good and that He's very real, very present? Our first priority, uh, if you know any... Any church, if you know some church history, maybe you know a catechism. We, we've walked through a couple with the kids sometimes. But the, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And, and the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Like it's, it's this enjoyment, the satisfaction that we would receive in knowing God. God doesn't want first and foremost our obedience, although He does long for that. And He does call us to walk in obedience. His first Act is that we would enjoy Him. We see it in the garden, right in the very beginning, where God creates this perfect paradise. And in that garden, He has perfect unity with His his creation. And so our hope is that we would glorify God and that we would enjoy Him. And so our focus is not on the sin or even our righteousness, but it's actually on God Himself. We're going to push and focus on that today. And as we look at uh, particular sins, we don't want to get lost in ourselves and how we respond because I, th- I think that that's so much of what this self-help, uh, fix-yourself type of Christianity that, that's pervaded our culture, it can just lead us into focusing on ourselves rather than what is the chief end of man? To glorify God. Who should we be looking to? We should be looking to God. We will find our satisfaction, our completion, our wholeness in Him. And so then we remember this morning why God is worthy of our love, why He's worthy of our affection, why He's worthy of our worship and our lives. So let's look together at Proverbs 6 and see how God is calling us to love Him in purity of mind and body and soul this morning. Proverbs 6 verse 20 Through 35 reads this, My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest, and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his grace will not be wiped, his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Let's pray. God, we've already acknowledged the gift of your word, the gift of the church, the gift of your spirit that dwells in those you have called and redeemed and saved. So, Lord, we have everything that we need to hear from you this morning, and we thank you for it. We pray now that you would give us ears to hear, 
That you would give us eyes to see, eyes that would be open to see your beauty, to behold it, to be satisfied in it. God, would you teach us how to live in a way that would correspond to a heart that's chasing after you? To a a love that would love you with our whole, whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, we ask that you would do that here. We ask that you would do that uh, throughout your church in Cross Point Coast and Brevard County, Lord, we, we pray that you would do that throughout the world, Lord. That today some would see and savor Christ for the very first time. God, that they would know you and their lives would be changed drastically. Lord, and we pray that you would change our hearts. That we would see you for the, the hundredth, the thousandth, whatever, however many times we've seen you. And it would have the same effect, that the joy of our salvation would be restored to us and we would remember, God, you have saved me. You've drawn me out of the miry clay, out of, out of sin that would so easily entangle, and you've set my feet upon the rock, and you've, you've set me there by the work of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that that would bring joy to our hearts today. You got a joy that would go not just only in this hour that we gather together, but Lord, throughout our lives, every day, every minute, that we would, our lives would be shaped by that affection and that joy. We thank you that we can pray this with confidence this morning, knowing that that's what you long for, that you long to be in relationship with us. And we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we see, if you have um, some 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 background, some shaping of the book of Proverbs is uh, much of it is wit- written by Solomon. And, and this one in particular is Solomon writing to his son. And he's preparing him to rule, preparing him to, uh, to walk in wisdom. And so he's written these things down. And he begins this morning with the instruction of the father and just recalling, my son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. But even as we think about like wisdom, as we think about teaching, as we think about how we should walk rightly, often we think that it's a, it's a matter of behavior, it's a matter of thought, it's a matter of action. And what does Solomon do first in this passage? He drives to his son's heart and he says, when you, what should you do with these commandments and these teachings? You should bind them on your heart. Listen, out of our heart is what our behavior what our thoughts, what our actions are going to be shaped by. Because if we have a heart that is chasing after Jesus, we will live rightly. We can also live rightly without a right heart. We can, we can put on all the airs and put on the appearance of doing all the right things. And we can still miss the affection and joy that we should have in a God who is good and mighty to save. Amen. We can do that. So Solomon is teaching his son and he's saying, listen, where do these things need to happen? They need to happen in your heart, son, because if they happen in your heart, it's going to change the way that you live. You'll be able to flee from this, the, the seduction of the world because you have a greater affection. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your, ne- your neck. And then if, you, if they're in your heart, what's it going to do? It says in 22, when you walk, they will lead you. See, it's going to shape the way that you live. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. See, these teachings, this, this affection, this, this thing that's grabbed a hold of Solomon's son's heart is what's going to carry him through his life. 
And so Solomon's reminding him. And listen, if Solomon is reminding him, and we all know a little bit about the story. Solomon is, is esteemed as one of the wisest men ever. And he's teaching his son. He's going to give him the very best advice. That's his son. And so his best wisdom out of the wisest man is take these teachings and bind them in your heart. Hold to them. Cling to them. Because they're going to shape your life. The call of Solomon to his son is to remember. Keep your father's commandments. Could easily translate, remember your father's commandments. When we think about that, and we think about through the story of Scripture, how often God calls his people to remember. He calls his people to remember his faithfulness, and what he has done, and how he has delivered them. When you think about uh, the... So much of the Hebrew people and their story was shaped by the Exodus, right? That God had saved them out of, out of a, a slavery, out of danger, and brought them into a promised land that he had promised them. And he recalls constantly to remember. Remember what God has done. Remember God's faithfulness. Yes, remember your unfaithfulness, but first and foremost, remember God's faithfulness. And so this morning, we're remembering. Like, God is faithful. He, has, he is so good. Why would we run to other things when we have the best? Why would we settle for, as we, as we saw in the video, why would we settle for these other lesser things that would, that would promise and then would steal? And so this morning we look at the sin of lust and what does it promise and how does it steal? But before we accuse maybe Solomon's son... We're like, man, you had the wisest father ever. He sat down. He taught you through this. He's given you this great instruction. And you blew it somewhere because the, the, there's only a couple generations where, before there's no Israel. Before there's no, there's no nation anymore. Right? But the reality is that we've been given God's word. We've been given this instruction to bind on our hearts. And we forget so often. And so this is a call to us today. It's not just to Solomon's son. It's to us that we would walk in wisdom. That we would bind these things to our hearts. 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman. From the smooth tongue of the adulteress. You see, Solomon's giving this wisdom to his son. So that he can walk in the way of life. I'm... I have uh, I listen to a lot of music, and it's all over the place. So it's a lot of different types of music. But one of my favorite bands is uh, a band called River Rivers and Robots. They have a song called Satisfy. The chorus is taken directly from Psalm uh, 16, verse 11, and and it's talking about Lord, you satisfy me, you give me the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what we want. Like God has instilled in us. He's put into us a desire for pleasure. A desire to be satisfied that, that, that satisfaction only comes from him. So then we, we were like, man, God, why would you make us this way if it causes so much destruction when we don't put our, our pleasure and our, our satisfaction in you, our desire for pleasure in you? Why do we have these sexual desires? And I think... Um, when we think about that, 
John Piper is super helpful. I, I listened to his sermon from 2004. He, he did a, a conference, and it's on Desiring God. And I would just encourage you, if you get a chance, to go back and listen. But one of the things that I pulled from that is like this question of why do we have sexual desire? And his answer is, is kind of a longer one. So it's a quote from Piper. It says, God created human beings in his image. Male and female, he created them with capacities for intense sexual pleasure and with a calling to commitment in marriage and continence and singleness. And his goal in creating human beings with personhood and passion was to make sure that there would be sexual language and sexual images that would point to the promises and the pleasures of God's relationship to his people and our relationship to him. In other words, the ultimate reason, not the only one, why we are sexual, is to make God more deeply knowable. The language and imagery of sexuality is the most graphic and most powerful that the Bible uses to describe the relationship between God and his people both positively when we are faithful and negatively when we are not. When you think, if you've read through the prophets, um, so often Israel is referred to as this adulterous wife, the, the one who would chase after other things when they have been given the promise of God, the promise of being his people and him dwelling with them and the, the, their identity as a chosen nation. And yet they would chase after other gods that, that their neighbors were worshiping. And so God would continuously call them to remember, to repent, to come back to him. That's the beauty of God. He's so faithful in the midst of our unfaithfulness. And so this morning as we think about even, even unfaithfulness and sexuality or where we go to uh, gratify our desires, we remember that God is faithful. And, and we can't change a lot of these things. God changes them in us. And so as we talk about uh, adultery, which is what really where Solomon is, is walking his son through, there is also other desires in, in our culture that would draw us away from who God is and who he's created us to be and how we are to be satisfied in him. The, the, the lie that is just pervasive today is, is that the only truth that you should have is whatever is true for you. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, that's truth. And you pursue that. But God comes in and he says, no, I am truth. And I've given you these desires and I've given you this way to live. And it's only w- within my guidelines, within my commandments, with the way that I design things, that you will find a satisfaction that you're looking for, that you're hoping for. You see, really what, we're, what Solomon is reminding his son about is, is what is love? Right? We're contrasting what does true love look like in comparison to lust that would go after and desire other things. You see, 25 says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. We can look and we can, we can acknowledge beauty. God has created beautiful things. He really has. His world, his creation is, is amazing and it satisfies. It's beautiful. But when we have this desire to take it and make it ours, that's when we become wrong. As he talks to his son, he says, listen, as soon as that desire in your heart for her beauty captures you, right, through, through her eyelashes in verse 25, you, you're chasing after something that will not satisfy You've, you've gone down the wrong path 
Because your desire is now controlling your heart rather than your heart, my instruction, my wisdom controlling your desires. We get it backwards. And our culture says, no, that, that's what you should do. And so now we have to remember, no, we're aliens now. We are not of this world. So the way that culture says that we should live can't be what defines us. We have to live a different way, just like Israel was called to live a different way. And yet they chased after. They wanted to be like their neighbors. They wanted to have the same gods and and intermarry and all of the different things that God had told them not to do. And we want to do that. We want to have that same conversation around the water cooler that, that everybody's partaking in. And yet if we're called to live differently, if we're called to be aliens in this world, to have a satisfaction that this world is not going to meet, then, we, then we're going to live differently. We're going to talk differently. And we're actually going to come and we're going to hopefully say, through boldness that the Holy Spirit generates in us, say, you know what? You're looking for a desire somewhere that there's only death there. That path doesn't end well. And I know that because I have truth. And I'd love to share it with you. Right? And maybe that's not like first thing, but maybe after it's living life together, at some point we can come alongside somebody and say, listen, man, you're, you're searching for a satisfaction that you're not going to find. Hopefully we're doing that with our children too. And, and it takes so much patience to do that, to continuously say, listen, you're looking for a satisfaction that this toy that you're arguing over is not going to give you, and it's only going to be found in who God is and what he's done for you, right? And so we all have these affections that we're running to, these, these things that we're looking for satisfaction in. We're, we're trying to take, we're trying to make something ours, like do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. And he continues in 26, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. You see this desire that he has, this taking, this making it mine. What God has called us to is to love and to be givers. And maybe that looks like um, giving your time, but it could also just be you don't have much to give, and so it's giving of your availability, giving of your vulnerability, right? In the context of marriage, God has called a man and a wife to give themselves to each other wholly and fully. And so that's what love looks like, that we would give rather than taking and going outside to find things and to try to satisfy our own heart's desires, What does love look like? It looks like giving. So then all of these other things, adultery, pornography, these are ways that we would just take to satisfy us. But God has clearly laid out a path for us to find satisfaction in Him and in Him alone. But we have to be in His Word. We have to hear that because we're not going to hear it in culture. We're not going to hear it in our neighbors. We're not going to hear it at the workplace. We have to drive to what God has said to remember it, to keep it before us, and to call each other to it patiently, saying, hey, remember, we have this good thing together. Let's chase after that. Let's not look to these other things to satisfy us. So love, true love, can happen in marriage, but it can't happen outside of marriage because we're not giving each other everything that we want. We're taking what we want. This is why these other forms of lust are so pervasive and so dangerous. Not only do they 
um, as, we're, as we see in 27 and 28, and I love the way that Solomon talks about this. He, it's, uh, it's a little bit sarcastic. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> what, how is that wise to hold something that is going to burn you alive and you think that it's okay? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? But we want to toe this line and say, hey, what's okay? Right? How far is too far? Where can I go? You know, when, when, when is a relationship inappropriate? Or when does, lust, when does uh, admiration of beauty turn into lust? But really, we're asking the wrong question. Our question should be, how can I love Jesus most? What we need is not a list of rules. What we need is not, hey, if you have a better internet filter, all those things are great. Like, we have to walk and practice on some of these things. But really what we need most is we need a greater affection for Jesus. Because if that greater affection for Jesus overrides every other affection, now I'm going to submit this question to my affection for Jesus. I'm going to say, God... I don't, even, I don't even care about how far I can go in this direction. I want to run to you. I want to be satisfied in you. And now there's a question that I have in my mind, and that I had in my mind when I was you know, 18, 20 years old, and I, and I hear sermons like this. How does God satisfy sexual desire? And I don't know. I don't, I don't know, and I don't think that that's what he's saying. I think he's saying that I'm going to give you a satisfaction that's better than anything you've ever received. On earth. And you're going to get it one day when you see my face. And everything else is going to fade away. And even the glories of heaven. All the angels surrounding. We're going to be in awe of who Jesus is. And it will be satisfying. Every want. Every tear. Every uh, frustration that we have will go away. Because we will know Jesus. And we will see him. And it will be worth everything. Like all of the things that you've denied in this life that the world would say are the riches that you should partake in, that you should indulge in, he's going to say, no, you have me. And while you may see me momentarily, you may see images of me in your marriage, and, and hopefully that's what we see is, is this beauty there. But if not, we have the promise that one day we will find an ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. Every desire that you have will be met in him. I think for, for us this morning, we need to remember that all of us struggle with lust. And maybe it's, not, um, maybe it's not the mainstream ways that you think of. Maybe even some of the ways that we've already talked about. But we desire affection. We desire approval. We desire to, to be known and for people to, to love us and like us. And so there's often ways that we will run to uh, this satisfaction and trying to receive something from someone and take it from them that may not look like what the normal definition of lust is. But James 1, 14 through 15 says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Whatever that desire is, you're, you're enticed, you're drawn away. By that desire. And then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. You see as we continue on in this passage. 
he talks about the, the folly of stealing and how if, if you're found stealing, they're going to they're gonna make you repay. They're going to make you pay for it. But he who commits the, the, the sin of adultery, in verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He's dumb. He's stupid. He who does it destroys himself. You see, when we chase after whatever the sin is, looking for a satisfaction on the other side of it, we will find that all it has done is robbed us. If you know, maybe your life has been ravaged by this sin of lust. Maybe you know people whose lives have been damaged by the sin of lust. It doesn't lead to anything except death and destruction on the other side. And that's what James is saying. When then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. You see, while we all struggle with sin, here's, here's something that I think we need to see today. Because you can hear a sermon like this and say, well, if everybody's doing it, then we all sit under this condemnation. No, God has called us to fight for joy, right? So it doesn't say sit in joy, it says fight for joy, right? So there's, this, there's going to be this ongoing battle that we have where we have to remind, we have to run, we have to call each other to it to rest in Jesus, to run to Jesus for our satisfaction, I love this quote from William Arnault. It says, The difference between an unconverted man and a converted man, so that's, an, that's a non-Christian and a Christian, is not that one has sins and the other has none, but that the one takes part in his cherished sins against a dreaded God, and the other takes, parts, takes part with a reconciled God against his hated sins. I said, what's going to cause us to hate sin? It's going to be to know God. We know that that God in His character abhors sin. He won't have anything to do with it. And if we're being made into His likeness and being conformed by His Holy Spirit and transformed into this new man that He's called us to be, then we too are going to hate sin. Right? We're going to fight against it. We're going to war against it. And when it it rises up, we're going to say, no, that's a lie. And I've seen where that lie leads to, and it's only death. And God has promised me life. The path of righteousness that would lead to life. So I want to walk and run towards him. There's consequences to to sin. Particularly the sin of lust when we think about it. And and again, we all know a portion of that destruction that's caused. The, The deception of lust is that we can have without giving. That we can take and we don't ever have to give anything up. That we can consume and be satisfied. But God has called us to relationship where we give and He gives and together we receive this beautiful satisfaction of knowing God. Uh, Ray Ortland, who, if you've, if you've ever heard him speak, just incredible. He, he writes in his book and his commentary on Proverbs. He says, if only evil were always ugly, life would be simpler. If only everything were color-coded to make it obvious. If only there were warning labels on all the poisons. But in this world, disaster can be attractive. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, He's magnificent. But does the magnificent devil know how to build a relationship? He seems so successful, but does he know how to live? The truth is, he is a fool, and he wants to make us his fools as we step on his well-concealed landmines. 
That's, that's true. All that he leads to is foolishness, destruction, and death. And God has called us to walk with him in righteousness, in truth, in peace, in joy, in satisfaction. So there, there's no practical solution that I would offer you today on how to walk lust-free. But what I would say is, God, will you change our hearts? Will you stir our affection and our passion for you so that as I talk to my kids and I instruct them, rather than thinking about what they're taking from me in my peace and my rest, I can give to them and I can give the way that you have given yourself to me and I can become an ambassador of Christ to a world that it's going to take and take and take. And not holding back because I don't have anything left. Because God has given us everything. So they can take all they want. But they can't take Christ from me. And I can give. And that's what they need. They need to see Jesus. I can give of myself and beyond. To my children. To my neighbors. To, to the homeless man in the street. I can give because Christ has given. You see, when we talk about wisdom, the fullness of wisdom is seen in Jesus. The fullness of God's plan of walking in perfect righteousness is seen in His Son who has come and walked perfect righteousness on our behalf. And so our rest in relationship and our, the reason that we can give is because Christ has given Himself. Christ did not trivialize the sin of lust. He didn't, didn't make light of it. But he took it all the way to the cross. Jesus, when he teaches on lust, he, he says, listen, lust is such a big deal that if you look at a person with lust in your heart, you need to gouge out your eye. But Christ didn't gouge out his eye. He gave up his life. He died for us. He was completely broken for us. We use the quote from Tim Keller often because uh, he's got good quotes. But the one that I love is um, this idea of our search for satisfaction, our search for love, our search for peace. He says, when over the years someone has seen you at your worst, talking about in marriage, this is from his Meaning of Marriage book. When over the years someone has seen you at your worst and knows you with all your strengths and flaws, yet commits him or herself to you wholly, it is a consummate experience. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's the kind of satisfaction we're looking for. And we won't, if, if we look to marriage as what would satisfy, like you can even say, well, uh, adultery is awful, obviously, and causes all of this hurt and brokenness. But if we're looking for satisfaction purely in, in, in the, the confines of marriage, like if everything's good as long as you're married, no. Like, we, we will only be satisfied if we have Christ in the center of our marriage. 
If we are being taught by Christ on how to love each other and give ourselves to each other fully. Because Christ gave himself fully for us. That's the only way that we will find that satisfaction. And that's good news because that means you don't have to be married to find that. You can find it in Jesus. Our children can find it in God and, and in Christ without ever being married. Our hope this morning is that we would be satisfied with this love that Christ has for us. This love that has driven him all the way to the cross. I want to leave you with this. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's our hope this morning. That we would know how high and how deep and how long and how wide is the love of Christ. Because that's even what Solomon is telling his son. Listen, you need to bind this instruction on your heart. It's got to start in your heart. Your whole being needs to be towards what is, what is good, what is righteous, what is, in this case, wisdom. And for us, it's the same. Looking to wisdom and the fullness of God, the wisdom of God is found in Christ. Our hearts need to be pursuing Christ. We want to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That it would fill us with the fullness of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. God, we know that you are uh, stirring in us an affection for you, a desire for you. And God, not only do you give us a desire, but you satisfy us. You meet us in that. God, I pray that we would taste and see as we began this morning with the call to taste and see that the Lord is good, Lord, that we would do that through your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that meets us, that opens our eyes to see where we have chased after other things, other satisfactions, other indulgements, Lord. God, that we would instead chase after you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that's calling us to that. I thank you for the gift of the church, Lord, that we would be able to hold this out to each other and say, listen, this is what we have. We have the greatest gift, the good news. Let us run to that, that that Christ was separated from God for us, that he was separated from the Father, broken so that we could be united to God. We could be reconciled to a holy God because of the work of Jesus. And if that's true for a sinner like me, then it can be true for a sinner like my neighbor, a sinner like my coworker. God, and we can bring that good news. I pray that you would stir that in our hearts today. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.